Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Palazzo. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Manny coming at you again from Calvary. Such a privilege to uh, share God's word with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament, chapter 2. That's where we'll be beginning tonight. And again, remember to uh, hit like, subscribe, your, the notification icon, whatever, it is, whatever platform it is that you're watching this on. Um, so you never miss when we are online or when you get to hear God's word. And um, if you want to share it, if you find that these times are meaningful to you and you find it significant in your life and God is using it, a real way for you to get the word of God out there is to copy the URL, send it, share it, um, so your friends and family can uh, benefit from what you're hearing. Amen? So, have you ever been entrusted with something important, something valuable, or maybe even something precious? Maybe it was a critical task that you were given to accomplish, or a sacred responsibility that was yours to keep, or maybe something valuable to guard. Well, think of it in this way. Are there any football fans in the house? I'm a football fan. Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, during a football game, the football is the most valuable object on the field. Should one of the 22 players on the field get the opportunity to receive or to intercept the ball, they are entrusted with one responsibility, to get the ball across the goal line, while at the same time protecting it from the other team. So what's amazing to me is that God entrusts the gospel to us. Can you believe that? This is incredible to me. This good news that when anyone repents of sin, believes and commits to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions, God promises to unleash all of his mighty power to rescue them from sin's punishment, power, and presence. God entrusts that to us. It's this sacred responsibility that Paul understood. And he expresses in today's verses. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Are you kidding me? God allows me, you and me, us, human beings, to handle, to manage to guard and to be official representatives of the gospel. He gives us the ability to handle his power to save. I don't know about you, but that just floors me. It reminds me of the first time I went out alone with my firstborn son a few days after my wife had given birth to him. Here was this fragile, helpless, totally dependent human being in my care. And as I held and, and handled him, I remember the emotions I was feeling. I felt scared. 
in some ways I felt unworthy and inadequate because I understood that the stakes were so much more higher than holding a football. The stakes were so high that I couldn't afford to fumble it. I couldn't afford to make a mistake and fail. I wonder if that's what Paul alludes to in verse one when he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. You are witnesses and also God, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Even though the circumstances that led Paul to and from Thessalonica were covered in rejection, suffering, and persecution, his time in this city was not a waste. That was one of his concerns that he expressed in the first chapter. His time in this city was successful because God entrusted the gospel to him. And what he did, and what he did, what he was supposed to do with the gospel. So who does God entrust the gospel to? What does it take to be trusted with such a great and sacred responsibility? I wonder, can I be trusted with something as precious as the gospel? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? Can God trust me with the gospel? Well, in the 12 verses we just read, Paul mentions several marks of someone who can be trusted with the gospel. And I wanna go over a few of those with you today. Paul visited Thessalonica during his second of three gospel spreading journeys. And he reminds the Thessalonians in verse two that when he arrived in their city, he had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. 
You can read the details of his experience in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, but I'll give it to you in a nutshell here. It was because of his gospel spreading mission that Paul and his team were accused of disrupting the entire city. They were attacked, stripped, and beaten with rods, and then thrown into jail without even a trial. Well, the following day, they were released, and they were asked to leave the city. And sometimes later, as they roll into the Thessalonica, everyone can see that they have been banged up and bruised. But what you have to understand is that this isn't the first time that Paul receives a beating for talking about Jesus. Shortly after he started following Jesus, he had to be lowered out of the city of Damascus, out of the, over the wall of the city of Damascus in a basket because the Jews wanted to kill him for talking about Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Four chapters later, in Acts chapter 13, he was on his first of his three gospel-spreading journeys, and he was persecuted and driven out of the city of Antioch. The same thing happened to him in the city of Iconium, Acts 14. But it's not until Lystra that they finally got him. They stoned him. They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Now, his second and his third missionary journeys aren't any easier either. Conflict and opposition seem to be what characterize his ministry. And yet, despite, despite how challenging it was, he says in verse two, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. This brings us to the first mark of the person God entrusts the gospel to. God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God. God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God. Almost every time Paul opened his mouth for Jesus, he got punched in the mouth because of Jesus. And so I'm sure it would have been tempting for him to consider taking it down a notch and backing down his message but not Paul. No way, Jose. If he would have been allowed to, if he would have allowed fear to shut his, out, shut his mouth, then his time at Thessalonica would have been a waste. Nothing would have happened. No difference would have been made. His visit would have been in vain. But something did happen. And five times he tells the Thessalonians that they knew it. In verse one, he told them, for you yourselves know. Verse five, as you know. Verse nine, for you remember. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. And verse 11, for you know. It was undeniable that his time in Thessalonica was not a failure. The gospel had its effect the people had rejected their idols. They started serving and living the true and living God. The gospel was fruitful in their city and in the surrounding area. The gospel was so significant in their lives that its influence, their influence, was being felt in many areas surrounding them. This was possible because God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God. Well, how about you? 
Do you want your gospel efforts to be effective, fruitful, and significant? God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God. So how do we get that kind of Paul boldness in the face of conflict? When the face of opposition, when we are tempted to tone it down or to change the message or to shift things around to make it a little bit more palatable and acceptable, how do we get that Paul kind of boldness? Well, listen to what he said about suffering in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul wrote there, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I hope that encourages you. Because when you are afraid, you can get boldness in the same way that Paul did. Where did this confidence to say what we suffer now is nothing come from? It comes from the gospel. Folks, when the gospel works, it is glorious. Yes, the gospel secures our eternal destiny. And we often make that connection. We believe in Jesus, trust in the gospel so that we get heaven. But it's so much more than that. Are you suffering now? What's causing you pain? What's breaking your heart? Is there someone stressing you out? It might be what someone did to hurt you. Or it could be that you are in pain watching someone else suffer. Perhaps what's affecting you is the the craziness you see and hear happening in our world, country, city, and even our neighborhoods. Well, listen, the gospel guarantees us a quality of life later that is infinitely better than the one you are experiencing now. A life in which there is no suffering because sin, death, and the devil are defeated. There is no suffering because perfect justice rules. There is no suffering in that future life that Paul is talking about, that future glory, because wrongs are made right. Flawless righteousness prevails and great rewards are given out. And so, when Paul compared that to his aches, his pains, his cuts, and his bruises, when he compared that future life You know, the same one that Pastor Nate preached about on Sunday when he referred to that living hope from 1 Peter. When he compared that living hope, that future life, to the discomforts and inconveniences, the persecution and the threats that he was enduring, it filled him with so much confidence that he was able to say, oh, these things I'm suffering now, they are nothing They're nothing compared to that future glory. The video clip I'm about to show you is out of the original black and white television series of my favorite superhero, Superman. In the scene, 
as he enters the room to confront the villains. He assumes that signature stance that we're all familiar with. He postures himself confidently, fists on his hips, his chest flexed while he stares down the barrel of the gun. Now, we know why Superman is this bold. One of his superpowers is super durability. But what surprises me is what Superman does after the bullets bounced off of his chest like BBs off of a steel wall. Watch the clip. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. (laughs) Brad, get away from that machine. Did you see that? After the bad guy realizes that Superman is immune to his bullets, he throws the gun at him. And did you see what the Man of Steel did? Superman ducks. He ducks to avoid being struck by an empty gun. Are you kidding me? My man just took six bullets to the chest. What was he trying to avoid? A scratch? A bruise? (laughs) Well, through the gospel, God gives you everything you need to face life and its challenges with boldness. And confidently, just like Superman, with fists on our hips, our chest out, we can face them. But yet, like Superman in this clip, we duck at things that shouldn't intimidate us. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. You see, the gospel guarantees you a superior life after this life. And so let that inspire and strengthen you and fill you with boldness. So that instead of ducking, know that because the gospel gives us perfect justice, perfect justice will rule because of the gospel. Let that inspire you to stand for truth and defend that friend who is being falsely accused. Instead of ducking the way we saw Superman do in the clip, you can be confident that all wrongs will be made right. So let that strengthen you to serve that person even though they're treating you unfairly. Instead of ducking, be assured that flawless righteousness will prevail. And let that embolden you to push back and and challenge that person or that boss who is being unethical or asking you to be unethical. Instead of ducking, know that you are promised to receive great rewards. Jesus said it like this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let it encourage you to stand up for God's values. To talk about Jesus even when it costs you dearly. Why? Because God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God. Almost every time Paul opened his mouth about Jesus, he got punched in the mouth because of Jesus. And so I'm sure it was tempting to alter the gospel in some way. Perhaps in his mind he thought, maybe I could modify it just a little bit to make it easier for people to accept. Perhaps if he tweaked it just a bit, he'd be able to gain their approval and their applause instead of a beating. But let's reread what he said in verses three and four. Because it tells us the second ingredient that fueled Paul's boldness and made him someone that God would entrust the gospel to. He said in verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error, or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So number two, God entrusts the gospel to those who are approved by God. God entrusts the gospel to those who are approved by God. I wonder, how did Paul get God's approval? How was he able to get God to approve of him? Some people think that God approves of those who do their best work. Those who work hard to earn his approval. Some people actually believe that. And others would say, I don't believe that at all. But when you look at their lives, the way they live, the decisions they make, they live as if God is impressed with how fervently they keep and guard their religious rules, customs, and traditions. But they've just diluted the gospel. And that behavior, that belief, it's polar opposite to the gospel. Think of it in this way. Imagine if I insisted that before being identified as a colossal, my sons first had to prove themselves worthy of being a colossal. My wife and I brought them into the world, but before you can take my name, you need to prove yourself worthy of being one of us. What, what if I made them earn the right to have access to the rights and privileges of being a colossal? Rights and privileges like shelter, clothing. You have to earn the right to access our food, to have refrigerator privileges in my home. With no one to protect and provide for them, their lives would look like distressed, defeated, discouraged orphans. And to others looking in, it would seem abnormal. It might even appear to be abusive. Why? Well, simple. Because children, sons, daughters, 
they don't have to strive for approval. Because of who they are, they are already accepted. But that is exactly what happens when we add anything to the gospel to get God's approval of us. Whenever we add anything to the gospel in order to get God to approve us, that's exactly how we're behaving and what we're believing. This is why Paul didn't have to resort to using error or impurity um, or deception to gain God's approval. Because an undistorted and undiluted gospel works for all people. The instant someone, anyone, repents and believes the gospel, they are instantly approved of by God. They don't have to strive to earn or prove that they deserve God's approval. What Jesus did by dying on the crosswood and resurrecting was enough to attain and retain God's approval for them and for everyone else. And folks, if you have God's approval, you have all the approval you will ever need. Why? Because God entrusts the gospel to those who are approved by God. Oh, that we would anchor ourselves in this truth. Better yet, that we would anchor this truth in ourselves. As Paul wrote in the book of Romans, God is for us. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Because of the gospel, God is for you. And nothing can ever be against you. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is seated in the right place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Do you see what he's appealing to? Do you see what keeps anyone from accusing you, from condemning you, anything from coming against you? What he's appealing to isn't you, but it's what Jesus did, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. You see, through the gospel, God, the one who really matters, secures your place as a full-fledged child of God in the family of God. And that's why he continues to write in Romans chapter eight, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced, he says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed, where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. It was this, it was this that gave Paul boldness. It, but it was this that told Paul, this is why God 
entrusts you with the gospel. I approve of you because of the gospel, not because of your righteousness, not because of any of the good things you're doing, not because of any of the bad things you've done, not because of your failures or your achievements. God entrusts the gospel to those who are approved by him. And you get that approval through the gospel. Now, don't forget that what Paul is writing about here is flowing out of his rejection and the persecution he experienced when he was leaving Philippi and Thessalonica. And he's trying to remember in chapter one, he was telling them that it wasn't a waste. His time there, even though it was short-lived, it wasn't a waste. He brought the gospel that God entrusted to him. And even though his time there was only three short weeks, the gospel worked. And this brings up the third quality of the person God entrusts the gospel to. He said in verse three again, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So notice, Paul is aware that God tests our hearts. In other words, Paul knows that he is fully known by God, thoroughly and completely laid bare before God. He knows that even his motives are exposed before God. And and so the key for Paul was to remember that if he was going to be trusted with the gospel, his responsibility was to please God by accurately representing him doing what God wanted him to do with the gospel in the way God wanted him to do it. And that's why God entrusted the gospel to him. So, number three, God entrusts the gospel to those who are pleasing to God. God entrusts the gospel to those who are pleasing to God. How did he please God? Verse five says, we never came with words of flattery. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness of this. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. How did he please God? Well, he didn't resort to flattery, telling people what they wanted to hear about themselves in order to influence them for the gospel. He didn't use flattery in order to take advantage of the people financially. He didn't even seek to get the admiration from these people. Now, he could have employed all of these tricks in order to hide, deceive, and manipulate, but he didn't because he knew that God tests the hearts. God entrusts the gospel to those who are pleasing to God. Now, the challenge, though, is that pleasing God, pleasing God can be in direct conflict with what pleases people. Pleasing God can be in direct conflict and can collide with what pleases people. Case in point, Paul. If he was going to please God, he had to preach 
an unadulterated gospel. However, as long as he continued to do so, he would continually upset a lot of people, not all people, and then he'd get punched in the mouth again. So what do you do? What would your next move be if you were in Paul's shoes? If you were stuck having to make a choice between do I please God and stand up for, represent the, a unadulterated, undiluted gospel? Or do I please people? What would your decision be? Would you please God or people? See, at that moment, the temptation is to use tips and tricks and strategies to minimize the blowback and to please people. Paul couldn't. Why? Because God tests their hearts. God entrusts the gospel to those who please God. I remember many years ago, there was a guy who I met in church, in ministry, and he was a friendly, outgoing, you know, extrovert kind of a guy, high energy, very uh, charismatic. Just this natural ability to gather people, to be liked by people. Pe- I mean, just this magnetic, beautiful person. And um, he loved God. I have no doubt that, you know, he believed the gospel. He was a cr- Christian. And like all of us, he was developing in his character and, and his grounding in the core principles of, of uh, the gospel. But as I got to know him, I started noticing that he would do and say whatever was expedient in order to control the results or the responses of people. And as I continued to scratch that surface and get to know him a little bit more, I got to see that he was scratching this itch within him for acceptance and admiration. And at the root of that was this incredible fear of being rejected by people. This fear of people being disappointed with him. I began to see that this position that he had, the authority that he'd be given, the influence of the platform and teaching and the pulpit, and that it wasn't a good place for him at this point in his development. Because I began to see hints of manipulation. I ultimately had to let him go because there was manipulation and lying and a misuse of authority that this position afforded him. And ultimately, it wasn't good for the church, wasn't good for the people. Do you see any of those things inside of you? See, that's not the kind of person that God entrusts the gospel to. God entrusts the gospel to those who are pleasing to him. How about you? Do you please God? Well, the pure, unadulterated gospel, (laughs) if that's what you're holding to, if that's what you're allowing to transform your life, I promise you, yes, you do. But how you handle and how you represent the gospel can be done with wrong motivations. So I caution you, be careful. 
what kind of person does God entrust the gospel to? What does it take to be the kind of person that can be confided in with such a powerful thing? Can I be trusted with something so precious? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Can God trust me with his powerful message that saves people? Because that's what the gospel is. It is the ultimate, it is the almighty power of God generated and focused to accomplish salvation in the hearts and lives of human people. Can you be entrusted with that? Here's what we learned tonight. God entrusts the gospel to those who are bold in God, to those who are approved by God, and those who are pleasing to God. You might be seeing that I didn't get through all the verses, and that's because I wanted to leave you with with some homework. I don't want to do all the work for you. There are four more qualities that I've identified in verses 7 through 12. I'm going to give them to you. There are four more qualities of this person, this kind of person that God entrusts the gospel to. I'm going to give them to you, and then I'm going to give you some questions that I want you to process as you read, and I want you to answer. In verses 7 and 8, this kind of person that God entrusts the gospel to will sacrifice for others. Write that down. Verses 7 and 8, God entrusts the gospel to those who will sacrifice for others. In verse 9, God entrusts the gospel to those who will serve others. God will entrust the gospel to those who will serve others. In verse 10, God entrusts the gospel to those who will be transparent with others. God entrusts the gospel to those who will be transparent with others. And finally, verse 11, God entrusts the gospel to those who will be like a father to others. So I want you to take some time as you finalize this Bible study Process those answers with these following questions. Why does God entrust the gospel to this kind of person? The person who is bold in God, approved by God, pleasing to God, who sacrifices and serves others, who is transparent with others and is like a father. Why is it that God trusts the gospel to this kind of person? And the second question I want you to process and answer is how can you develop this qualities. How can you develop these qualities? Hey, I would love to hear from you. Would you hit me up via email and let me know what God is doing in your heart, how he used this study, how he used this time for you to process the rest of this Bible study that you're going to be doing on your own? I would love to hear from you via email. You can email me at manny, C-M-A-N-N-Y-C, at calvary.com. Or you can find me on social media. Hit me up on social media and converse with me that way on Facebook or Instagram. I would love to hear from you and see how God is using this passage and what he showed you. Would you do me a favor and reach out? Hey, God bless you. And may the fourth be with you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.